0: So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and when he he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him." Last we uh, observed last week that Boaz was willing to do what the other kinsman, the one referred to as this one, ho such a one or this one, would not or could not do in that Boaz willingly identified with Ruth and he gladly made her his wife despite her past and the fact that she was a Moabitess. As I previously mentioned to you, Boaz made this redemptive work a public matter. The other kinsmen publicly forfeited his all of his rights to the property being redeemed by Boaz, as indicated in verses 7 through 10, and he did so by removing his shoe. And we saw, we saw this in Deuteronomy and so on concerning the, the reason, Leviticus, I believe, as well, concerning why he removed his shoe and the, the custom... Of that day in doing so. And in verses seven through ten we read, Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelechs, and all that was Chilion's and Melons of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And so we've seen in this text, of course, there is an explanation given as far as the custom, if you will. It was the manner and former time in Israel, talking about prior to. And of course, this custom then was being carried on by this one who took off his shoe and handed it to Boaz. And again, one of the emphasis of that is that it is, a, it is a matter of submission, if you will, and of resignation. And taking off the shoe and handing it to Boaz, he was resigning himself before all this company and congregation and witnesses that he would not or could not redeem this property, because of Ruth that was associated with the property, remember when it was just the property that was being uh, up up for uh, redemption, he was like yeah i 'll take that i 'm in and he thought that was a good good deal for him, a good benefit for him. but as soon as he heard of ruth he 's like oh no i can 't do that i 'll mar my inheritance and so in saying such and in, in that mindset, he now when is brought confronted with this matter of redeeming Ruth with the property, he then gives his shoe to Boaz, which again is forfeiting his rights to even walk on the property. He's saying, I have no, I have no claim to this anymore. And and we saw how this was all being done in a public setting at the gate. The gate was a place of judicial uh, matters. It was a place of legal matters, of course. It was a place where uh, no, ba- no doubt elders would gather often and maybe even discuss matters, whether it be uh, theological matters, philosophical matters, whatever it may be, they would discuss these matters and work things out together. And so it was a very public setting. And there were people who would gather at the gate, no doubt, who were not even part of the elders of of the people, but yet they would gather to hear and to engage and listen and such. And so it was a place where all of these things would take place. And we find here that it was a a, a public forum, in other words. And the Lord ensures, as we saw last week, that His work is outwardly revealed by the complete transformation that he makes within those whom he has redeemed. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19, we see that, we're not going to read those verses again tonight as we did last week, but we understand that we are a new creature, and that God has made a, Christ has now made us, God has made us Christ's ambassadors, our ambassadors for Christ, and he's given us the ministry and the word of reconciliation, and that he says a new creation, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And I shared with you last week, and this is important to note again, that it's not simply we are to make public in, in our strength and our efforts this, this work of redemption, though we are to be bold in the gospel. The point is, if you've truly been redeemed, it cannot be kept a private matter. It is a public matter that God has performed in redemption because he is the one who ensures that this work is revealed through us. Again, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You can't keep that private. It's personal, but it's going to come forth. Therefore, we should be intent and purposeful and intentional concerning our proclamation of that which God has done within us. I'm not saying we just sit around. I'm saying, though, that he's the one who ensures he will present us blameless. He will present us Uh, set apart unto himself. And we are to uh, submit to him and allow that to be worked in and out of our lives at this point in time. And I say that for this reason. Ruth didn't have to go around saying, Boaz just redeemed me. Boaz just redeemed me. It was public knowledge. Boaz redeemed Ruth. And who made sure it was public? Boaz did. Boaz said, hey, this is a work I'm doing. I'm redeeming Ruth, and I'm taking her to be my wife. And he made that a public matter. And so again, as I've said many times to you, I'll reemphasize once again, that always personal redemption is always personal but never private it is not a private matter the other kinsman was not willing as we've seen to pay the price for ruth's redemption verse 6 and the kinsman said i cannot redeem it for myself lest i mar my own inheritance redeem thou my right to thyself for i cannot redeem it i see he said redeem thou my right again he in taking off his shoe he is forfeiting that right he is resigning himself to the truth that he no longer has this right or can claim right to this property or to Ruth. As Boaz was willing to pay the price and take Ruth in, we've discovered as well, so our Lord was willing to do all that was necessary for our redemption. Remember 2 Corinthians 8 9. We read this last week. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That was not just uh, to accommodate us. No, that's what was necessary. For our redemption. Christ counted the cost. He was willing to identify with flesh. That he might then sacrifice. Be offered as God's sacrifice. And humbly sacrifice himself. At the Father's will. For our redemption. He who was equal with God. Thought or not Robert to be equal with God. Again Philippians 2. Yet took on him the form of a servant. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He came and humbled himself to death. Even the death of the cross. So as we we now approach this, and we're not going to finish the book this evening, but we're getting very close, and as we approach the conclusion of the narrative of Ruth, we find the culmination of the emphasis of this entire book. Ruth's redemption by Boaz has finally been completed now in the passages we've read tonight in these verses, and in the very last verses of the book, we find that the fruit of the relationship between Boaz and Ruth, which was a result of Ruth's redemption, is declared and even in these verses and further in the following verses and, and, and they are witnessed or this is all witnessed by the people at the gate and the elders in verses 11 and 12 let's look at these two verses together and all the people that were in the gate and the elders said we are witnesses lord make the woman that is come into thine house like rachel and like leah which too did build the house of israel and do thou worthily in ephratah and be famous in bethlehem and let the house be like the house of Perez." whom Tamar bear unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now, it is not only that the people at the gate and the elders witnessed the redemption of Ruth by Boaz, but the Scripture says something a little different than that. Now, I want to go back for a moment before we proceed, and let's go back up to verses 7 through 10, and I want you to see something here that is stated. It says here that uh, concerning the time when the kinsman uh, said to Boaz, "'Bide of thee,' he drew off his shoe." And then it says in the latter part in verse 10 that Ruth and Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, Boaz says, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. And then notice what Boaz says, ye are witnesses this day. Again, this is a public matter. He says, you're witnessing Ruth's redemption. You are witnessing that I am buying all that pertains to Elimelech. You are the witnesses. And that's a wonderful thing, that these people there were definitely witnesses of what was taking place. But when you come here to verse 11, the Scripture doesn't declare that these people were witnesses. But notice what it says, verse 11, the beginning of the verse. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. Now, this is interesting. Notice the words, we are are italicized, which means that they were added by the translators in an effort to provide clarity to the statement or to make it grammatically correct for the English translation. But notice this, all the people in the gate, and the elders said witnesses. They said witnesses. Now, what is the difference here? Well, the implication is, yes, we are here witnessing this. We stand as witnesses. But... The fact that it is just stating that they make they said witnesses. It is saying that the people at the gate and the elders said this statement witnesses, and the statement was more than just an acknowledgment as observers of the act, but more importantly, this was a statement of approval in regard. So they are saying. We gladly witness this. We bear testimony to this. And not just, we've observed a transaction. Let me say it to you like this, okay? Here's kind of the difference. If you look at a wedding, and basically that's what's taking place here for all intents and purposes. When you're at a wedding and people are gathered together, in most cases, obviously the people that are gathered together... They they are witnesses of what is taking place, are they not? There are people who are testifying of this marital covenant relationship that's being joined together. These two people being joined together as one, and and they're saying we are witness to this this day. But there's something more to it than that alone. I don't know when when people go to wedding wedding ceremonies and such. Usually, this isn't always the case, especially for men. But usually, the people that are gathered there together. They want to be there in celebration of the couple and of the of the marital relationship. And so though they are truly witnesses of this event, they are there in celebration of this event and in celebration of the of the two individuals coming together as one in a marital covenant relationship. So when he says, when they claim the elders and the people witnesses it's not simply a legal judicial matter though it does include that where they're saying hey we have witnessed that all of this has been done today but they are standing there in approval of what is being done and they are rejoicing in what is being done as indicated in the next statements if you notice they begin to bless Boaz Ruth and Naomi for this matter Concerning the the covenant relationship that's being enter, entered into, and the fact that Naomi has someone who will redeem all that pertain to her and to herself and Elimelech, and redeem Ruth and care and provide for her. So there is a there, there is a, a more than just an observation of a legal matter being performed, but there's also an a personal interest in celebration of this. Act that has just occurred before them to which they witness. So the people and elders were in agreement with the manner in which Boaz dealt with the other kinsmen and with the legitimacy of the redemption which Boaz provided for Ruth and all that pertained to like Let's read on verses 11 and 12 following the rest of 11, verse 11. The Lord make the woman that is come into that house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou mightily in Ephrathah, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. The people who witnessed this transaction blessed the redemption of Ruth, and further stated that such an act of redemption as performed by Boaz cultivated an expectation of a life of fruitfulness. Are you seeing the parallels here? Please tell me you see this. When there is a public work of redemption that is personal in nature, which the public work of redemption is always personal in nature, personal redemption is always a public matter. And when this is the case, it fosters or cultivates an expectation of fruitfulness. Hear me. Please hear me. If someone says to me, I've just been saved or I've just, I just received Christ, you know what that immediately does within me? Obviously, I'm going to be thankful to hear those words and the testimony of that of that individual to such a statement. However, that immediately more so than just "oh, that's good news" and I'm so happy. I begin to expect to see the fruit within them of such a redemption, and that's exactly. Notice immediately they say, "Oh." Upon Boaz, upon Ruth, upon their union, that they would be fruitful and bear children, and blessed is Naomi as well. That God has not left her to herself and left her to her own ruin. He has raised up her 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 family's name through Boaz, that children would be born. Are you seeing this? This is fruitfulness of the relationship that covenant, which was a part and result of this redemptive work of Boaz immediately calls those who witness such to say, we expect to see fruitfulness from this redemptive work and this relationship. Hear me, if there is no fruitfulness spiritually to what people call their salvific experience, then it is not a genuine biblical salvific experience fruitfulness is a result of redemption. So these witnesses had an expectation of a life of fruitfulness. It's through Boaz's redemption of Ruth. The name of the dead was raised back to life as we read just verses prior through the offspring of the covenant relationship between Boaz and Ruth. If you consider the previous verses Boaz makes it clear that this is his intent and this was what he was going to do he was going to redeem uh, Ruth and he makes it public that this is what's going to happen and when the other says he cannot do it uh, and that he tells Boaz then to go ahead and do it himself Boaz says again to them you are the witnesses I bought everything that pertained And then he, to Elimelech, and then he says, I've purchased, in verse 10, Ruth, the wife of Malon, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. So notice what he says. I have purchased her to raise up the name of the dead. He's bringing, listen, in this redemptive work, he is bringing, back to life that which was dead. That which could not be fruitful. That which had no possibility of becoming fruitful apart from this act of redemption. Again, this is a historical narrative. I never want you to forget that. We have worked through it as a historical narrative. These are real people. Ruth is real. Boaz is real. Naomi is real. Elimelech was real. Malon and Cleon were real. And all the people here mentioned are real. This is a real historical account. And here all again, the beauty of this is seen that it is part of god's eternal redemptive work unfolding in time in which christ would be born and we understand that but oh if we cannot appreciate the parallels that are present in this work of redemption historically speaking then we are missing the beauty of redemption itself and seeing how god has laid all of this out and brings it together for us as exemplified in the account of ruth Not only were the witnesses pleased with Ruth's redemption, but they obviously, apparently also rejoiced at Ruth's redemption, as indicated by their declaration of blessing again upon Boaz and Ruth in this relationship in which Boaz had secured this redemption for Ruth. In like manner, there is rejoicing among the angels for the work of redemption which our Lord accomplished on our behalf. In Luke's gospel concerning the parable or parables, the three which are really one account of that which was lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, all three the same account, three different different statements, but all the same chapter, all the same parable, part of the same parable. And all of that which was lost, interestingly enough, too, notice this. In every single case, the lost, coin, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, that which was lost belonged to someone, and it was the one to whom it belonged that searched and found it. And in every single case, notice this too. This, this has great implications uh, concerning redemption. In each case, that which was lost was found. Jesus said this. It's interesting, isn't it? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't say, I came to seek and attempt to save. He didn't say, I came to seek and attempt to find. He said, I came to seek and to, to, seek and to save the lost. And he said, this is the will of my Father, that that which he has sent me, I should lose, that which he has given me, I should lose none. He finds those he's seeking. And this is part of the beauty of the redemptive work of God in Christ. And Jesus said in Luke 15, 10, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Within the same account of three parables, Jesus also declared in Luke's gospel in verse 7 of chapter 15, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. That's the first part concerning the sheep. The second part was concerning the the coin. And the witnesses in heaven, the angels, are in agreement with and praise the Lord for this redemption which he has accomplished on our behalf. Remember the scripture tells us that angels long to look into these things. Remember something. The scripture, uh, Paul referred to the angels, a certain sect of the angels as elect angels. And the elect angels were those who didn't fall. That's all that means. It's very simply explained in the scriptures. There were the chosen angels, the elect angels did not fall. The other angels fell. And in that account, now we see the angels long to look into this. They, they marvel at redemption. And one of the reasons why they marvel such is obviously because they recognize that God does not need man. They know that, okay? And yet God, man, man falls, he redeems man, and all this is a wonder and amazement to them. But there's something more than that alone to this as to why they would marvel. There is no redemption provided for the fallen angels. None. But guess who God did provide redemption for? The fallen man. So those who, those elect angels, according to Paul, who would... View the redemption and long to look into these things concerning redemption is it not interesting that they would gaze and peer into this and be absolutely in awe and wonder because God has provided for fallen man that which he never provided for fallen angels but all the while they rejoice in this work of redemption that God has provided verse 13 so Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife, and when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Boaz redemption of Ruth resulted in a fruitful relationship. By the way, I told you, and you see it in the previous verses, that the people who witnessed this redemptive work at the gate, they were then expecting for this to bear fruit, this relationship to be fruitful. But notice it's not, it's not an expectation alone, it is a reality. Verse 13. The Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. So it's no longer just an expectation, it's a re, an expectation that is realized. Boaz' redemption of Ruth resulted in a fruitful relationship in which Ruth conceived and birthed a son Obed. Genuine redemption, hear me, do not ever lose sight of this. Genuine redemption will always be fruitful, without exception. Everyone may not always be Fruitful to the same degree. And everyone may not always bear the same fruit at the same time to the same degree. But there will be fruit all the same. The presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit within every believer will bear fruit in his fruit in their lives. Galatians 5, 22-25. And of course, to give you, provide you the context for this, this is in contrast to the works of the flesh which Paul mentioned just verses prior to these verses. And he stated in verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit in contrast to the works of the flesh, but the fruit. And the word fruit here, the noun fruit here is singular in the Greek. Singular noun. So these aren't fruits in the English grammar. Of course, fruit could be singular or plural. It could be like a piece of fruit or it could be the fruit on the table. multiple pieces. So fruit could be singular or plural in the English in Greek. As translated here in English, fruit, it is singular in number. So this isn't talking about fruits, plural, but singular. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit, and then he says love, joy, peace, meekness, long-suffering, patience, on and on. He's not talking about multiple fruits. He's talking about one fruit. This is the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. There is this fruit singular of the Spirit which consists of all of these things. Not some or pick through them. Now, I will contrast this just for a moment because usually when I deal with any one of these three things, I bring the others into it to make a distinction for you, to help you. I'll remind you of this. Many of you already know this, no doubt. But there's the gift of the Spirit, which is salvation. We are given the Spirit of God in salvation, right? He indwells us. Then there is the fruit of the Spirit, singular, which is the evidence of the presence of the Spirit within us. And then there are gifts, plural, of the Spirit in which they are differing gifts, they are varying gifts, there, is, it, it is, there are multiple gifts, and I believe primarily we really, one of those is primarily manifested through us as individual believers, meaning it, God divided severally as He will, the Scripture says, concerning these gifts. So the gift of the Spirit is our salvation, singular, the gift of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, is the evidence of the presence of the Spirit, while the gifts of the Spirit are given divided up to us as God has so designed and desired that the body of Christ may function as one together. So here we find, as a believer in Jesus Christ, genuine redemption will always be fruitful because the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is present in every person in whom the Spirit dwells. It is the Spirit's fruit, not the believer's fruit. And that is key here. This isn't oh well, I bear love and no it's the spirit's fruit. So let me ask you something. Regardless of the believer, believers are given gifts of the spirit, but they are varying gifts. These are not varying fruits plural. This is one fruit. And so that being stated, if it's the spirit's fruit and not the believers' fruit, then where the spirit abides, guess what is present? His fruit. That's why we understand that the life of the believer will always be fruitful because it's the spirit within us to whom the fruit belongs, not to us. We bear fruit. We bear witness of the fruit, and that fruit is manifested through us, but it's not our fruit. It's his fruit. Verse 14, And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. The people blessed Naomi. This was the same Naomi who upon her return to Bethlehem stated to the city, which no doubt included these women in Ruth 1:20 20 and 21, and she, Naomi, said unto them, the city, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now, however, the women of the city are declaring that Naomi has been blessed by the Lord and that the Lord has made provision for Naomi through her kinsman Boaz. And notice what they say. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord who hath not left thee this day without a kinsman. Wait a minute. But is Naomi the one being redeemed? No, Naomi is already kin to the kinsman redeemer. And it is Ruth that is being redeemed. But notice what she comes back saying. Oh, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Don't call me blessed. Don't call me joyful, happy. Call me bitter." The Lord hath dealt bitterly against me, she says, or bitterly with me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. But now notice what the women of the, the witnesses, the witnesses of this redemptive work, who expected there to be this redemptive work, now say after the birth of Obed, Oh, blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Oh, so why did God do all of this? that his name may be famous in all of Israel. Oh, Ephesians 1, he hath redeemed us, he hath saved us. What? To the praise of the glory of his grace. The whole purpose of this redemption was never about Naomi and never about Ruth. It was always about God's name being made great and famous in Israel, in Bethlehem. Let us never forget this truth. God is a jealous God. And he does all things for his glory. And your salvation is not for you or about you. We are recipients. We are strangers who did not deserve such. Ruth remembered that. She said, who am I? I'm a stranger. Why would you show me this kindness? Remember that? It wasn't about Ruth. It wasn't about Naomi. The Lord was working all this providentially to his glory. That his name might be made known. That his name might be famous in all of Israel. So now the Lord's made provision for Naomi through her kinsman Boaz. Our heavenly father has provided us a name and identity and our kinsman, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Yea, doubtless, Paul says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Whom I have suffered or forfeited the loss of all things and who count them but dung, that I may win Christ. By the way, what happened with Ruth? Do you remember this? Ruth says, I'm leaving everything behind in Moab, my culture, my people, my family, my, my comfort zone, everything that I was comfortable with and familiar with, I leave it behind. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Remember all of that? Forfeiting all things, counting it as, as worthless compared to what she was supposed to do and where she was supposed to be. And be found in him, verse 9, Paul says, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of, which is of God by faith. And be found in him. Here's the identity, in him. Second Peter 1, 2 and 4, 2 through 4. Peter writes, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The Lord has made us partners or sharers in his holiness by his indwelling spirit. We are now in Christ, not known by our righteousness or unrighteousness or attempts of righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is our identity. Verse 15. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is... Better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. The now nourisher means sustainer. Within this verse, the people are declaring that God has provided Boaz, the king, as the one who would restore and sustain Naomi, all that was Elimelech's, Ruth, all that pertained to Elimelech. It is the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, who is the restorer, who is the sustainer of all those he has redeemed who now trust and rest in him. Jude verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you, keep you, observe, watch, protect, guard from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. There is something to say concerning love's restoring power and its sustaining ability. God provided redemption for Ruth, for all that pertained to Limelech, for Naomi, the one who came back and says, oh, God hath dealt with me bitterly. God has, has judged me harshly. And the witnesses there say, oh, blessed be the Lord, for He is good. He has redeemed you. He's not left you. To die alone and to die without the name, your name being raised up. But rather he is raised from the dead back to life. That which could have never been fruitful. He's provided and made this fruitful through this redemption. And now we rejoice with you. You know, I don't rejoice in professions of faith. I rejoice in the fruitfulness of faith by those who've made such profession. And here you find that that's what's to be expected. Again, even in the parables which we spoke of just a moment ago, or the parable in Luke, if you recall, it doesn't say, there is joy in heaven over one profession made. No, over a sinner who truly repents. The angels rejoice when one is truly saved, not when there's a profession made, when there's genuine salvation. We rejoice not because someone makes a statement, we rejoice because there's fruit in genuine redemption and we know that this is the work of God, not a claim of man. God makes this public, again. God makes redemption public. It's personal, but it is public. And you will gladly as well testify to it being public when you are redeemed. But our testimony is not what determines whether or not your salvation is public. It is God who is determined that it is public. Not you. But you will gladly bear witness publicly (laughs) if you receive such redemption. Thank God for this redemption. Thank God for the example of Ruth we find in Boaz and how he is redeemed in this account. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity we have to open the word of God, and we thank you for its truth. And we pray, Father, that you might be glorified in and through our lives and through the redemption you have accomplished on our behalf through our Lord Jesus Christ. May we never take for granted this wonderful world.